In this podcast episode, we want to introduce you to our BCEN friend, Travis McCall. Come along as Janie Shoemaker and Holly Briggs talk with Travis about his career and research into compassion fatigue and secondary trauma. His motivation for change is certainly matched well by his desire to serve those in healthcare working alongside him. This episode is called Digging into Research, Growing Compassion Satisfaction. Hello, and welcome to the BCN and Friends podcast, where we hold interesting conversations about learning with a range of thought leaders, BCN certification holders, and industry professionals. But most importantly, to create value and insight for you, our professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. We hope you find our discussions interesting, informative, sometimes funny, sometimes serious, and always valuable. I'm Holly Briggs, a professional development specialist at BCN, and one of your hosts for today. I am joined by my co-host, Janie Shoemaker, CEO at BCN. Hi, Janie. Hi, Holly. It's great to have you with us today. And in this episode of BCN and Friends, we have Travis McCall. Travis is a nurse who has done a ton of work in pre-hospital transport, flight, adult, and pediatric, advancing his degrees held multiple times, and is now serving in the academic world as an assistant professor and published research author. I could spend quite some time talking about all that he has accomplished so far, but I'm going to hand this over to Janie to please introduce us to our BCN friend, Travis. Thank you, Holly. It is my pleasure to introduce Dr. Travis McCall, who obtained his MSN in 2013 from Vanderbilt University, specializing in ED education, and earned his Doctor of Philosophy in 2021 from the University of Tennessee College of Nursing with a graduate minor in epidemiology and public health. His dissertation focused on secondary traumatic stress and promotion of nurse welfare, Travis has over 15 years of experience across the emergency spectrum from pre-hospital to his current roles as an assistant professor at Vanderbilt University School of Nursing and as a flight nurse practitioner with Vanderbilt Life Flight. Travis is passionate about advancing nurse welfare through education and the promotion of peer and self-care, and his research on these topics have been published in the Journal of Emergency Nursing, the Journal of Trauma Nursing, and the Air Medical Journal. Travis, welcome to the BCEN and Friends podcast. It is such a pleasure to have you here with us today. Well, thank you for inviting me to the podcast. Yeah, we are so glad to have you and so looking forward to hearing more about you. So with that, tell us about your career in nursing and pre-hospital care so far. Yeah, uh, how much time do we have? Um, no, I'm just kidding. I uh, It's been a very long, but a very good journey. Um, you know, I started back in my first undergrad uh, college uh, program and was able to get my EMT certification as a kind of an extracurricular activity and worked for years in a non-healthcare related position after graduating. But when I moved back to Tennessee in 2020, or I'm sorry, in 2001, got involved in volunteer fire service and was able to kind of fall back on some of that EMT training that I'd held on to. And uh, we, uh, you know, very rural area. And the first time a black and gold helicopter flew in and took a patient from a scene, I thought, I want to do that. And it's been funny as I look back on my childhood, I can remember being drawn to newspaper articles that talked about when Trauma Hawk was was called. I, I'm from Palm Beach County. And I guess I don't know why it took uh, such a long time in the scenic route 
to get to where I am now, but ultimately decided to get my EM, uh, my IV endorsement on my EMT license and then went to paramedic school. And knowing that I wanted to fly at that time, Vanderbilt flew nurse nurse configuration. So I said, well, I've got to go to nursing school. So worked as a, a paramedic in the adult ED at Vanderbilt while I finished uh, nursing school and then entered a nurse residency. And then after three years in adult and pediatric EDs in Nashville, I was fortunate to get hired to finally uh, work at LifeLight. Well, that scenic route certainly has given you quite a bit of experience along the way um, that you just can't, you can't match anywhere else. Absolutely. I have learned a lot from everybody that I've had the benefit of getting to work with and learn from. And uh, it, it's really been quite the adventure. Yes. Like Janie said, I think sometimes the most interesting people I've met, they always seem to take that scenic route. Um, and they just, one of the things that I love is that there's nothing that's wasted. So even when you kind of take a little, little side road here, there, and all of a sudden it leads you to something that you're truly passionate about. And that honestly, looking back on it, you're like, yeah, I was going to end up here. It might've just taken a little bit different route, but I love that it seems like you haven't wasted any of your time, even if it took more time than maybe <laughs> than maybe some others. Um, and that's okay. As Janie mentioned in your intro, um, you are doing some really thought-provoking, hopefully practice-changing research. But how did you get into the field of research, specifically ER, trauma, flight, nursing research? Because I've read some of the different um, articles that have been published and really good insight that you're providing some research-based insight. So how did you kind of end up in research? Yeah, great. Thank you. So I had decided to, you know, I had uh, later, I had just started flying and was in a, uh, a master's program at Vanderbilt because all I'd ever known was ER and wanted to further my education there by enrolling in the emergency nurse practitioner program there. And after some amount of time, had the opportunity to begin teaching nurse practitioner students in the anatomical lab. And I realized I really liked teaching and realized that I wanted to further pursue my education and decided to um, enroll in a doctoral program and decided that the PhD was the best fit for me, which is very research focused. While my healthcare career has been entirely in ER and EMS. I guess those fields of doing research applicable to ER and trauma and flight nursing, that's where I kind of naturally gravitated towards to be able to do that research and make those contributions. Travis, you've addressed the topic of secondary trauma and peer support in several of your research projects and publications. I can't think of a more serious and needed topic right now as we sit here. What drives your passion and interest in this topic? Yeah, I would say that those of us who work in emergency and transport nursing have all experienced emotionally challenging situations. So what really sent me on this trajectory, I had just gotten to University of Tennessee, first on-site group with my cohort uh, for the, the PhD program there. And they said, what are you here to research? And, you know, I was kind of shocked. I was like, really, I got to know this now. Like I just got here, you know, I, I don't, I have like four years to figure this out. So mm -hmm. I, I kind of was on the spot and I said, well, you know, I've noticed since I left the emergency department to go to the flight line that there, I was recognizing fewer and fewer people every time I came back into the ED. And that was over a short amount of time. So I wondered, what is it 
that that creates this sort of revolving door and high turnover in these high acuity emergency departments. And at the same time, I was working as a nurse practitioner in several community EDs. And there were nurses there who started there on day one out of nursing school and had been there were some who had been there forever and would retire from those EDs. And I thought, what is the difference? Why can't we retain nurses in these big level one tertiary care centers and the community EDs? You know, nurses seem to stay forever. And I think it's multifactorial. But I kind of looked back at myself and I said, well, you know, it, it can be hard sometimes, you know, to see those high acuity patients regularly. And you see them in the community EDs, but I feel like on a daily basis would seem to have, you know, some sort of a toll, obviously, and in what I had experienced as well. So I ultimately settled on this concept of secondary traumatic stress, which our friends in social work are really light years ahead of us. And they really termed that. And it's been used interchangeably with compassion fatigue, but really they by uh, concept analyses by nurses, which we all love, they are kind of different. And that secondary traumatic stress is very synonymous and has the same symptomatology of post-traumatic stress, but the experience is not one that directly impacts the nurse or the other healthcare clinician as the victim, but rather we experience that trauma through a helping relationship that's causing this, this injury and this harm and this pain in the individual patients. And research has shown that those experiences that are most distressing for nurses, not surprisingly, involve children, adolescents, and sudden death. So there's a, uh, a uh, theory, the uh, theory of secondary traumatic stress by doctors Ludic and Figley and a compassion fatigue resilience model. And they talk a lot about that some research, qualitative research can open some new lines of research and help us develop kind of new science to put out. And it's when it suddenly came to me that I could interview nurses who had provided care to patients who were injured in a school shooting, because I cannot think of anything that would be more emotionally challenging than that. And these events, unfortunately, are not going away. Why they sure aren't. I tell you some of the things that you were, you were just saying, you know, the differences that you've seen in the big research teaching hospitals, university level hospitals, and just the, the turnover. Um, and then when you look towards, you know, your more community-based ER, seeing some longevity there and noticing the difference and then asking the question, you know, why? Um, and I think that the asking those questions, seeing something and going, man, why is that that way really can help to maybe unearth some new methods, some new practices that we can embrace. And hopefully that would transfer into, again, steps towards resiliency and longevity in a profession that needs really good nurses, needs really good people. So what are some of the best methods that you have found during your research and and talking with nurses that they can support themselves, um, that they can be supported either by their organization, the facility, or their team? Absolutely. So I think first off, we need to raise awareness and we need to, in doing so, incorporate education on this topic uh, into academic uh, types of education as well as hospital orientation. You know, what really shocked me is I had gone to an EMT program, gone to paramedic school, did an associates in nursing, 
went to a critical care paramedic program, got a bachelor's in nursing, master's in nursing. And it wasn't until I took a social work cognate course in my PhD program, and we spent a week and a half on self-care. And I was blown away. I was like, where has this been? Why did I have to wait so long until I heard anything about this? And this was introduced in a in, in a, an academic program. That's one of the reasons I say our friends in social work are so far ahead of us. It was a trauma treatment in adults course that I was taking outside of the major and was was really impressed that we spent that much time on it and realized that we need to be doing the same thing in nursing curricula. Uh, in my classes, uh, all my lectures start with a topic uh, related to this that can promote longevity in the workforce and can help improve nurse wellness and welfare. You know, we hear a lot about the need to train more nurses to meet this deficit that we have in the workforce, but I would argue that we're not doing enough to take care of those that we have. So I don't use the term resilience a whole lot, um, but at the same time, I feel like we all worked very hard to get where we are, and we want to have a fulfilling career and take great care of patients and have good compassion satisfaction, which is central to nursing. And one way to do that in a sense of self-care is have something you look forward to doing on your day off, right? Don't just plan for the next shift. Don't go home from taking care of all these severely injured trauma patients and go brush up, you know, read journal. You know, it's good to have continuing education to stay current, but have something that you want to do. Have something that you look forward to. Go for a hike. You know, when I talk to nurses about what they like to do, I've heard of exercise. I mentioned hiking, fishing, journaling, whatever it may be. Have something there that you look forward to at the end of your shift. You can also, even after a really difficult, challenging day, when you walk out, think of something that went really well during that shift that just really was fulfilling for you that you will think about as you're you know, departing wherever the workplace is. And then I'm very big on peer support. It's very cost effective. Talk to others at work about your feelings and experiences, particularly those that were involved in that patient care, because it's not a HIPAA violation. You know, that's something I heard about, uh, with interviewing nurses for my dissertation was, you know, I, I we had a debrief, but I really just wish we'd been able to go talk about it and even cry about it if needed. And to talk about it with others is really a good outlet to deal with those emotions and, and get that out. And I helped start a peer support program at Vanderbilt Life Flight, And it's just a very simple text, email, or uh, text or call hey, I understand you had a really difficult transport yesterday. I want to check on you, see how you're doing. That sounds really tough. And I've had very seasoned clinicians who would text back and say, I'm going to take you up on this. Can you talk in about 10 minutes? And I feel that that really goes a long way with helping people unwind. Um, in the one survey I did, I found that those individuals who said they were their own support mechanism had statistically significant scores that were higher uh, for burnout and secondary traumatic stress than those who relied on their family or some personal colleagues or work colleagues. But then I say, you know, you've got to worry about taking that home. You know, if your significant other 
or spouse doesn't work in healthcare, it's not healthy to go home and unload on them everything that you saw on your shift. And if you're talking to non-work colleagues, we all know about HIPAA and we don't want to get into trouble there. So by keeping it in the workplace, I feel it kind of mitigates some of those complicating factors and allows people to get those emotions and those thoughts out. And at the same time, make yourself available to your peers who may have been experiencing, you know, may have experienced a challenging situation as well. And then lastly, I know I've been going, but, hot, you know, employee assistance services, you know, some hospitals or nursing uh, organizations do offer those. And when I interviewed some nurses for my dissertation, they said, you know, we don't we don't use those resources because we have, quote, a macho culture. And that's not that's not healthy. We need to understand that it is not a weakness to use those resources and the individuals who work in those specialties. They are great at what they do and can be very helpful. And it's best to reach out and use those resources rather than when you've unfortunately hit that point where you're experiencing burnout and suffering some of those symptoms of secondary traumatic stress. Wow, Travis, you've given us a lot of things to to think about here. And sounds like from my experience anyway, that nursing certainly has some catching up to do in this regard, compared especially to the social workers that you were talking about. If our, our nursing audience that's listening to this podcast, you know, maybe in various roles, many of them are working at the bedside, some of them may be in education roles, leadership roles, maybe some roles such as yourself. If I'm a nurse, though, in any role, and I'm listening to this, and I say to myself, wow, we don't do anything for this kind of, we don't do any of these things that that Travis just mentioned. I want to do something. So Travis, based on your research, if I'm this one person, I want to go try to just implement one thing or start something to get us going on this nurse welfare. Let's talk about this post-secondary traumatic stress that you're mentioning. What would you have them do? Where could they get started? Because you listed off many, many great things. And that would be great as you build the culture and the and the and the program. But if I don't have anything and I just want to take something back and get started, what do I do first? What do you think? Yeah, great, great question. So I, as I mentioned, I'm a big advocate of peer support. I think it's very cost effective, it's readily available, and it has worked well in my clinical practice area, which is naturally at being transport nursing, very high stress with a, with quite frequent emotionally challenging situations. Just develop a team, you know, kind of be there to support each other. Um, you know, some debriefing at right times that facilitates the ability for individuals to to share what they're feeling and to get those feelings out. I think is is a really good place to start. Um, and if you're a nurse leader, think about you know, hey, there are a lot of benefits to retaining nurses, right? So if you think about, we need mentors for junior nurses that are coming in. We need our preceptors. We need our eventual nurse leaders. Think about a revolving door of nurses that are coming and going, what the training cost is for that. And think about the overtime costs that are being experienced uh, with this unfortunate nursing shortage that we have going on. I think that managers, you know, beyond even my own research and, and what has worked in my clinical practice area, go out there and review the literature and identify something that you would like to institute. You know, maybe one of your staff nurses working on an advancement project may be looking for something to do. And you say, hey, 
we need to do something here to take care of everybody. You want to go do a deep dive into literature and try to institute something would be a really great way. And since it is an ultimate cost-saving measure, maybe allocate some funds to trying to get something going um, to retain your nurses. And, and, and ultimately, this will be a pass-through to the patients because we know that ex experienced nurses benefit uh, patient outcomes as well. Thank you. That's great advice. Appreciate that. I, I know that this is Holly and I both, we talk to a lot and you too, I'm sure talk to a lot of nurses every day and, and uh, boy, this is really top of mind right now. So thank you for those great um, tips and, and path forward. Now, Travis, one of my favorite questions on any podcast, and I'm glad to see we're going to ask today is I always love to know, and, and I know our listeners do too, Tell us about a person or a moment in your career that just greatly impacted you. Like you'll never forget it. So on the positive, it's really hard to put my finger on one, you know, this one individual who's really just been fantastic because I get to work with and learn from an amazing group of people in both my academic and clinical roles. And in my academic role, I have the honor of educating students who want to advance their nursing careers in order to provide the best possible care to their patients. Um, unfortunately, though, you know, as I mentioned, we all have emotionally challenging situations that we have encountered in our clinical roles. And if you're new to emergency nursing or you're new to transport nursing and you haven't had one of those emotionally challenging situations, uh, unfortunately, get ready because it's coming. And I myself have not been immune to this. And one you know, situation. I, I regard myself as an open book. I regularly share my experiences in hopes that somebody else will benefit from it. And I can remember being a new paramedic and responding to a scene of a deceased child whose father had accidentally run him over with a car uh, when he didn't see him pulling in the driveway and his child ran out to greet him. And that experience really just impacted me tremendously. And even 15 years later, something will remind me of that at least weekly. And, you know, I don't, I don't offer that and share that in any way to discourage anyone from EMS and, um, and then working in emergency nursing because both they've been fantastic to me, but I share it as an example of why it's important to know and use your resources I feel like there were a lot of missed opportunities for me to get to talk about it um, and either with who I was on the call with or with the director of that EMS service. And, you know, I feel like I could probably still, you know, go, you know, there's all kinds of treatments out there that maybe that could be a little um, less of an impact in my life. But I, I just really feel that people need to, to understand to just when those things happen, just face them head on and deal with them and know your resources and, um, you know, hopefully be able to cope with it and manage that so that it, it doesn't affect as long. And, you know, when I commute pretty much anywhere, I, I pass roadside memorials that are from scenes that I worked, you know, and, and it's everywhere. And those, you know, I feel like now I have a better support system and those, are still tough to pass by, but knowing that I was able to, re, you know, use my peer resources and 
and and try to do what I could for my own self-care that I was able to cope with those better. But just knowing what's there, have a good plan in place, a good underlying welfare of activities that you like to do. And then when you do encounter those things that are a little overwhelming, reach out to others because uh, it can really help you. Wow. Thank you very much for sharing that. I think probably our listeners are all going to be able to identify and think of something. And, and like you said, boy, if you haven't, it's around the corner. Absolutely. It's it's the nature of the business that we're in and the, the field yeah. we've selected. So. Definitely appreciate you sharing that, Travis. And really the conversation before, I think just led to when you spoke about that, even though it happened years ago, like I could, I could hear it. I honestly could visualize some and it brought to mind some of the 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 tougher things that I've seen during my career in emergency nursing. And one of the things that it also reminded me of is during those moments, like who who supported me? Did I reach out? Did I not? You know, could I have done it differently? Would it impact? Would it still impact me as strongly if I had maybe gone about coping with it a different way, or at least starting starting talking about it? And I think. Sometimes as a seasoned nurse, there are things that maybe no longer kind of hit you quite the same way um, because, well, I've seen that, you know, I've done that, but it's this idea that there are nurses around you who haven't seen that, haven't done that, and perhaps it is affecting them. And if they voice, you know, that concern, or if they voice like, wow, that was a really tough case. I think the best thing that we could do is is not be dismissive of it to remember, hey, I remember what it was like when I f- saw my first code. I remember what it was like when I treated my first gunshot wound. I remember what it was like, you know, the first time I had an elderly patient die um, and their spouse was there holding their hand. You know, I remember that. And to not dismiss that moment for these newer nurses, because that's their moment now. You know, that's what they're going to refer back to. And if we can at least talk about it, we can be open to the idea. I think sometimes nurses get a little like, oh, we don't have to formalize everything. And, oh, we can, you know, it can just be a conversation. I agree with that. But I also think that it then doesn't bring up that self-care. It doesn't bring up that post-traumatic stress and secondary trauma. It doesn't bring those conversations forward if we don't say like, hey, this is this is why we're doing this. This is why we're talking about this. Again, it doesn't have to be formal, formal, but I do believe that we need to talk about the why we need to talk about it versus just being like, oh, we'll chat about it after. Well, we'll catch up, you know? (laughs) Um, So thank you for, thank you for talking about your research. Thank you for sharing with us, you know, those hard moments. And I do believe that it has to start somewhere. And so like Janie said, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you're wondering, like, we don't have anything thus far, well, you can bring something forward. And I I think you've, you've laid it out in a simple enough fashion that hopefully we can get started. So thank you for sharing all that. We appreciate, um, appreciate what you're doing and continue to do. I am going to change kind of the conversation a little bit. Um, So we're going to go into what I like to call the rapid fire section of our podcast, and we're just going to get to know you a little bit better. So I have some questions and yeah, I'm, I'm interested in several of these as a point of reference. So what would you be doing if you were not in your current role? So anything. Sure. So I'm a third career nurse and my first career was a geologist. So I guess I've got that to fall back on because I do keep my license current. So good plan B there. Okay. So seriously though, unpack that. 
what exactly <laughs> all, all I can picture is like somebody like looking around in rocks. So that's clearly not what a geologist does, although that's all I can picture. So what, what would that really mean? Like geology? Yeah. So I worked uh, in environmental consulting and I worked on environmental uh, remediation and uh, or assessment and remediation projects, soil and groundwater contamination, and worked all over the South, Louisiana, Texas, Alabama, Tennessee, and uh, basically doing, you know, drilling wells. It was more looking at soils than it was uh, rocks, but rocks too, you know, you got to get to bedrock sometime. Uh, yeah. And just finally decided it was going to be a better hobby than a career, but I've still got that in my, my back pocket if I uh, need to change roles again. All right. Well, see, we learn something new on this podcast every time. Geology. <laughs> it's not just rocks, you guys. Um, I also have some categories of some favorites. So what is your favorite book? It can be favorite of all times, or it could be something that you're reading right now that you'd like to recommend. Yep. I love the book Desert Solitaire by Edward Abbey. I think our national park system is amazing. And I'm fortunate to have been able to visit many of these parks and I haven't read it in years, but when I'm an avid hunter and I keep the book, it's all tattered in the bottom of my backpack and it just goes to the woods with me. And it's what I read uh, when I'm usually out and just looking for something to read. Awesome. I'm going to write that one down. All right. Favorite movie again, all time or just something you really like right now? I love the movie Idiocracy. I think it is very prophetic. All right. All right. I have not seen that. Again, you're giving me lots of things to write down and Google later. So thank you. I'm always on the look for good recommendations. This podcast has provided me with a lot so far. All right. Next up, favorite musical artist. Who are we listening to? Yeah, so I got into the jam band scene back in the 90s in college round one. And those still to this day are my go-to bands, Fish, The String Cheese Incident, uh, some Grateful Dead. Um, I've got very eclectic music tastes. And I'm going to admit I may live in Tennessee, but I do not listen to country. That's the only one. Maybe some old country, but no, not the new stuff. Well, Travis, I will edit that out specifically so you don't get kicked out of Tennessee because um, I'm sure you don't want to just move just yet. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm down for I'm down for some Grateful Dead. There's definitely some things that every now and again, depending on the mood, I will I will jump back into some, you know, maybe some fringe 90s rock. Um, so, yeah, good recommendations. Okay. Thank you for that. All right. These are this is always the game changer question for me. Um, what is your favorite food or a meal that you really enjoy? Yeah, I would say pretty much anything off the grill or the smoker. My my family gave me a Kamado Joe grill last year, and I swear I could make a shoe taste good on that thing. So, um, yeah, that that's my go to. But I do really like spicy food and I love Cajun food as well. Mm. All right. I mean, so like when you're grilling, are you like kind of, you know, let the meat rest, salt and pepper kind of situation? Or are you like, no, I have my set of spices. I've got, I, I'm going to season these suckers to an inch of their life. I mean, what are we talking here? Yeah. You know, I really think it just depends. Is, is this going to be a, a pork shoulder that's going to be on there all day? Or are we just, you know, dragging some venison steaks across it or just uh, even some burgers? So, uh, 
whatever, whatever I'll experiment. I don't have a set recipe for, for everything. You know, sometimes the purest of the grill who are like, the meat speaks for itself. It just needs salt and pepper. I'm like, I don't know. I've tasted some meat that needed more things um, a lot. So yeah, I like that. I like that you're willing to kind of experiment, go with, go with the flow. I like that. All right. Last question for you here. Um, Do you have any other hobbies or what is kind of your self-care go-to? I would say anything outside, Um, hunting, fishing, camping, hiking whatever it may be. I just, I get outside and that that's, it's kind of hard to do because uh, I wear a lot of hats. Uh, but anytime that I can, um, I think it's both enjoyable and I think it's therapeutic as well. <laughs> See, I love you outdoor people. Y'all are so fun. I am an indoorsy kind of person. Um, I like to compare. You guys like to go to the woods. I like to go to the big warehouse shops um, where I can get like an ice cream cone and walk around and find just aisles and vats of things that I probably don't need, but I really enjoy looking at them. And if they give me a sample, it's, I mean, it's the woods to me. So, um, you know, but to your point, it's really like knowing yourself and knowing what what really feeds your soul, what re- helps you reset so that way you can jump back into what is, you've got a lot of things on your plate, as you mentioned, a lot of a lot of your time is prioritized to your work and your teaching and all the things that you're doing. So knowing yourself and knowing what will help you get the best version of you back I think that's super important. So thank you for sharing that. Um, If our audience would like to follow you online, what social media platforms uh, could they follow you on? I will admit I'm not that active on social media. However, uh, University of Tennessee, my advisor was very big and dissertation chair said it is a great way to network. And he has met people for his research all over the world. So I do have a Twitter handle, which is at W Travis McCall, no spaces or anything. Perfect. Thank you for sharing that. All right. Well, Travis, we have just been um, really, really pleased to have you on our podcast today. I personally feel like I learned so much listening to you on so many valuable um, ideas and best practices around um, how to better take care of ourselves, not only ourselves, but our peers. Um, I really appreciate I know I speak for all of us when I say I really appreciate you being here and sharing your time and expertise with us today. Um, we're very, very fortunate to have had you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really enjoy getting to talk with both you, and I really appreciate the opportunity to to get this out there. Like I said, I think awareness is the first step, and um, I think I hopefully this reaches a lot of folks and has some some benefit. Absolutely. I think it will. I think it will. I think we'll have people listening that will take back some of these best practices and get started because anybody who works in this that is listening knows how important this is. It's critical. Absolutely. Well, thank you both. I want to take this time to thank Travis for joining us on this episode of BCN and Friends. Thank you, Travis, for sharing your knowledge, your time, your research, your passion with us. Your support through education is making an impact on this profession that we love. And the many nurses who may never have a chance to say thank you, I'll say it now for them. So thank you for all that you're doing. 
and to our listeners. We hope you will stay tuned as we continue with BCN and Friends and bring you new and meaningful content and perspectives. If you have a suggestion for an episode, please email us at bcn at bcn.org. I'm Holly Briggs here with Janie Shoemaker. And on behalf of the entire BCN team, we thank and celebrate you for all that you're doing as professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. Until next time, we are out.